This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we'll be visiting the classroom at Madison High, where our Miss Brooks dodges the slings and arrows of her principal, Mr. Conklin, of course, while in hot pursuit of Mr. Boynton. And we couldn't have a show to start that is more diametrically opposed as X-1. Most of the stories for X-1 were culled directly from the pages of Galaxy. Now, many of sci-fi's most popular authors got mass exposure through this series, and even today, X-1 is still generally considered a cornerstone of radio drama. Most, if not all, of the famous sci-fi authors have had stories featured in this series. Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Theodore Sturgeon, just to name a few. Now, tonight's show was written by Nelson Slade Bond. He was an American author who wrote extensively for books, magazines, radio, television, and the stage. The 1998 recipient of the Nebula Author Emeritus Award for Lifetime Achievement, Bond was a pioneer in early science fiction and fantasy. His published fiction is mainly short stories, most of which appeared in pulp magazines in the 30s and 40s. Many were published in Blue Book magazine. He's noted for his Lancelot Big series of stories and for his Meg the Priestess tales, which introduced one of the first powerful female characters in science fiction. So tonight we hear about a very rich man with very little empathy who wants his team of engineers to build a spaceship and won't take no for an answer. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four... Three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, The Vital Factor by Nelson Bond. I doubt that anywhere on earth there's a man or woman or a child who doesn't know the name Wayne Crowder. 
I doubt whether there's a human being who hasn't at one time or another used one of the Crowder products. The can opener or the razor blade or the patented tooth powder dispenser or the Crowder improved slideless fastener. In the magazines which write about men of business, Crowder was described as a man of ice and stone and ink and steel. No warmth to his blood. And a heart to pump, not feel human emotion. And he built a battery of buttons into his desk so that when he wanted something, all he ever had to do was press a button. And like genies springing out of the bottle, the proper personnel would come running. Yes, Mr. Crowder? Get me my engineers. Yes, sir. Right away, Mr. Crowder. Here, your engineers, sir. All right, close the door and get out. Now, gentlemen, sit down. Gentlemen, I want you to build me a spaceship. A spaceship, sir? That's right. I've decided that I'm going to be the man who gives space flight to mankind. Any questions? Sir, we can design such a ship. That part isn't too hard. Yes? But, but we've no way of providing the motor to power such a ship. When the ship's ready to fly, there'll be a motor. Sir, I... I don't like to contradict you, but you can't go ahead of the total technology of a historical period. It's like asking somebody in 1600 to build the internal combustion engine. You see, scientists have been searching for a motive power for spaceships for decades now without success. You'll have a ship, but we can't lift that ship from the Earth's surface. That is, not to the point of free flight at any rate. Mr. Crowder... <clears throat> Uh, you see, you'll be spending millions of dollars, hundreds of millions, perhaps, for nothing. What's your name? Phillips, sir. You're fired. Go down to the cashier and draw your pay and get out. What, sir? Get out. Nobody who works for me thinks of how much something costs. What? We use money. We don't let expense provide a rationalization for not beginning a project. All right, Phillips. I give you permission to leave. Right now. <laughs> Any other comments? The ship will be built, of course, Mr. Crowder. The fact still remains, we can't power it. You design the ship, I'll find the motor for you. Where, sir? I don't know. But somewhere in the world, there's a man who does know the secret. I want that motor, and I'll root out the man who has the theory which will let us build it. How quickly do you want this done, sir? Yesterday. Yes, sir. Is there anything you need? We'll need a construction yard, sir, and certain machinery and a great many materials, of course. Uh, labor force. Get them. Send me the bills. I don't want to be bothered with minor details. Yes, sir. And uh, one more thing, sir. Phillips. Yes? We need him, sir. He's a top man on electronics. He's a vital cog in our team. I don't want Phillips working for me. That's clear, I hope. Who else in the country knows what he does? No one in this country, sir. There's a man in India, though. Get him. We've tried before, Mr. Crowder. He's working on an important project in his country. I'm not concerned with details. Get that man, pay him what he wants, but get him. Sir, you don't understand. If this man quits his job, that whole project will collapse. It means the welfare of many people, millions of people in his country. He has a high sense of patriotism. Buy that sense of patriotism. That's all. I don't want to see any of you again until you have a report of work in progress. Yes, sir. Miss Holmes, there's a man named Phillips going to draw his pay. 
I want two company policemen to meet him at the cashier's office and escort him from there directly off the premises, and I want them to be emphatic about it. Yes, Mr. Carter. And notify the newspapers, the television, and the radio networks, the periodicals, and the scientific journals that I'll receive the press in my office this afternoon at 3.30. I have an important announcement to make. Anyone not here at 3.30 will be barred. And the publication or company he represents will not be given any further information. (laughs) Gentlemen, you can finish your drinks later. Gentlemen of the press and ladies, it's my pleasure to be able to tell you that I'm in the process of constructing a spaceship. Any questions? Did you say spaceship? That's right. That's what I thought you said. I know the drinks weren't that strong. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Crowder, is this spaceship under construction now? It is. You solved the problem of motive force then? No, sir. What sort of... You mean you have no means of propulsion for this spaceship? That problem is not solved as yet. (laughs) It will be! That's why I called you in this afternoon. I want you to announce that I have $100,000 in cash waiting for the man or woman who first brings me the basic idea for such a motor. I'll supply all equipment for research and construction and I'll see that the rights of the inventor are protected and more than adequate royalties will be paid him or her. That's all I have to say now. Mr. Crowder, one more question, please. Yes? Do you have a name for this spaceship yet? No, not yet. Well, then let me suggest one. Yes? Crowder's Folly. (laughs) Quiet. All of you, quiet. (laughs) What is your paper? The Daily Times, sir. Miss Holmes, inform the company police that under no circumstances is any representative of the Daily Times ever to be allowed on company property again. Strike that paper from the list of those to be invited to future conferences. It was Crowder's folly, but the word of what he wanted circulated to the far corners of the globe. It was known in the white ice block huts of the Eskimos and in the grass-thatched villages of Central Africa, as well as places less remote. And the Crowder office became the mecca and the heaven for the lunatic fringe of humanity. Their blueprints and scale models clogged its corridors. I told you I don't want these people in my office till they're screened. Now get out, get out! Every time I open that door, they surge in like a tidal wave. I have a progress report for you, sir. The ship is finished as far as we can go, Mr. Crowder. Certain additional construction can't be done now because it depends on the shape and mass of the engine, on the type of fuel, on the weight of that fuel. I see. All right. Lay off everybody we don't need. I've ordered that. Uh, Mr. Crowder, is it possible that no one will turn up with a motor? That's the one thing that's not possible. He will come. Money and determination will buy anything. Close the door on your way out. Yes, sir. Miss Holmes, order the proper department to put a name on the forward end of the ship. 
I want letters in pure gold one foot high. The name of the ship is Crowder's Folly. Get it done today. The sun came up in the morning, and the sun set at night, glinting rose on the silver sheen of the hollow ship's skin as it lay in the yard. The golden letters on the prow spelled out the fury of Crowder for the world to see. A staff of fifty were employed as time went on in taking rust preventative measures to ensure the ship's well-being. The staff of fifty worked in three shifts around the clock, armed with oil cans and grease cans and other containers and sprayers of preservatives. In a year... The first experiment seemed ready to bear fruit, and a test was held. The atomic fission motor. In exactly 45 seconds now, we'll hold the test, Mr. Crowder. The sound you hear is our generators here, building up power to supply the motor by remote control. If this needle goes round to the part of the dial marked in red... There'll be an explosion. Are there any questions, sir? Proceed with the tests. Watch the needle, sir. Eight thousand. Eighty-five hundred. Nine thousand. Ten. Eleven. Twelve. Fifteen. That's an overload now, sir. Uh, Eighteen. Twenty. Don't know how much more it can... What happened? The generator blew out. What kind of incompetency... I beg your pardon, sir. The motor blew up. What are you talking about? I would have heard... You see, sir, it takes a while for the vibrations of an explosion to travel three miles and then reach through 15 feet of concrete. I see. Well, there are other experiments in progress. Let me know when they're ready for testing. Yes, sir. Mr. Crowder, the inventor of that motor had to be right with it, of course, during the tests. He had a family. The fool knew what he was doing. He understood the danger. He was paid enough to be able to afford insurance. The cost of insurance on such a project was prohibitive, sir. Well, if his wife was thrifty, she saved out of what he earned this last year. His salary was relatively small, sir. Most of the money went for the research. He should have demanded an adequate salary. I haven't stated on money. The fool failed. I have no further responsibility. Yes, sir. You want us to continue screening applicants? Of course. All right. Make a settlement on the widow. And don't turn anyone away if he seems to have the remotest possibility of success. I'm telling you, my man will come. Money and determination will buy anything. And strangely enough, Crowder was right. Because one day there came to his office a stranger, a small man. He looked even smaller in that tremendous room. He was an unusual visitor in that he carried no briefcase fat with blueprints or formulae. He was unusual in that he neither blustered, cowered, nor deferred to his host. He was a pleasant little stranger, bird-like of eye and movement, bright and smiling. Mr. Crowder, my name is Wilkins. I can power that ship you want. So? 
Of course, what I have in mind won't be anything like that meaningless, huge bullet your engineers built for you. Rockets are a foolish waste of time, sir. My motor requires a different sort of vessel. Where are your plans? Right here, in my head. It so happens that I am presently supporting half a dozen people who make the same claims. None of them have been successful. What makes you think your idea will work? Simple enough, sir. A common magnet. Huh? Electromagnetism. Utilization of the force of gravity, or its opposite in this case, counter-gravity. Oh, no. oh, thank you very much. Now, if you'll forgive me now... Uh, just one moment, Mr. Crowder. There's one thing more. This. Now, I've seen pieces of metal before. Thank you. How high from your desk would you say that I'm holding it? I'm very sorry, Mr. Wilkins. Now, do you want to leave or do you want to be escorted out? Now, this will only take a second, sir. How high from your desk would you say that I'm holding this piece of metal? A foot and a half, I'd say. And if I let go, then in less than a second, a fraction of a second, it should fall to your desk. Now, look, I don't want the surface of that desk marred. What will it be? You see, I have let go of the metal, is that right? Good Lord. Hmm. Many seconds ago, it should have crashed to the desk, am I right? Well, this is incredible. Well, if you want to speak to me anymore, I'll be right outside. But it hasn't fallen. That's right, sir. It hasn't fallen. It floats in the air. That's right, sir. It floats in the air. How do you do it? Why don't you call your engineers and ask them? I'll wait outside. Miss Holmes, get me my engineers. Immediately. All right, Mr. Wilkins, you're quite right. The piece of metal is apparently counter-gravity, and my engineers can give me no explanation. Thank you, sir. Now, what do you want? For my services? Yes. You've already set the price. To build a pilot model based on this sample, no great expenditure, a hundredth of the cost of your behemoth sitting out there in your building yard. Three other things. A workshop, expert mechanical assistance... And an answer to one question. What is your question? Why do you want so much to build this ship? Frankly, because I love power. Because I'm ambitious. I want to be the first to conquer space. Because if I can do it, it'll make me greater, richer, stronger than any man has ever been. I want to be the master, not only of one world, but of worlds. Mm, that's an honest answer, but is it the only one? You see those letters in gold on the prow of my ship? Crowder's Folly, that's what they named it. That's what they think of me. I want to cram those words down their petty little throats and let them eat mud. That's another answer. And that's all? That is as far as your thinking goes? What other answer is there to your question? There's my own answer. I want to leave this planet and go elsewhere, to Mars, perhaps, because there are strange wonders yet to be found. Because there will be scarlet sunsets over barren wastes. And in the star-strewn night, the thin, cold air of a dying world stirring in restless sighs across the valleys of the dry canals. <laughs> You may laugh out loud if you wish, Mr. Crowder. I would prefer that to the peculiar repressed smile you're now exhibiting. <laughs> you're a very lucky man, Mr. Wilkins, in that you have scientific talent. Because your talents as a poet are inferior 
and very sentimental. All right. You're a sentimentalist, and I'm a man of action. No matter. We can work together, you and I. Your workshop will be ready by morning. I don't need to hear from you again till you have something to show me. If you need to see me, call me day or night. I'll be available. But don't bother me with details, because I probably won't understand what you're talking about anyhow. If you need money or materials or personnel, just tell my engineers. You'll get it, or I'll know the reason why. That's all. Thank you, sir. Miss Holmes, get me my engineers. Yes, Mr. Crowder? We have 50 men working on preserving that useless hulk out there in the construction yards. Lay them off. The ship will deteriorate if we do that, sir. Let it rot. Lay them off. Yes, sir. How many other employees are still working for us on the project? About uh, 3,000, sir, including the people working on experimental motors. Get rid of them. Sir? Get rid of them. Mr. Crowder, I I never thought you'd drop this project. You were so adamant I'm not dropping anything but Deadwood. You saw what Wilkins had to offer. He's my man. And the rest is junk and nonsense. Mr. Crowder, he might fail. We ought to have a minimum of protection against... I say he won't fail. I know the goods when I see it. The rest is nonsense. Several of the experimenters were making much greater progress than I thought was possible. There are great opportunities there. I'm not interested. Not only in the field of spaceships, sir. One man has a motor no bigger than a football, which will drive an automobile 24 hours on four cents worth of fuel. It's almost finished, sir. Not interested. It will be of great benefit to mankind, sir. Your name will go down... My name will go down in history for this spaceship. The profits in such a motor, sir. I have more money now than I even know how to count. And when I make my space flight, I'll have more than that. Yes, sir. You just lay everybody off that isn't needed. Give them two weeks' pay and... My thanks for a thankless job well done. And that's all. Yes, sir, I'll get it done, sir. Oh, one more thing. There's no need to let the folly rot. Dismantle it. Sell the basic materials we don't need. Salvage whatever will be useful to us. That's all. A year's work. Yes. In ten years or twenty years, and I do the same thing. That's why you're an engineer, and I'm an executive. That's why you work for me. Because when I have to... I can be ruthless with my own mistakes. When a thing has lost its usefulness to me, I get rid of it. Well? I was just thinking, Mr. Crowder. What would happen to me if my usefulness to you were over? I've worked for you 20 years now. Uh, Just don't give me any occasion to consider your usefulness terminated. That oughtn't to be too hard. Hmm. What? Uh, nothing, sir. I'll make the arrangements at once. Who are you? What do you want? I tried to stop him, sir. Well, speak up, man. My name is Jarvis Ustuli. I'm an electronics expert. Oh, yes, I remember. You're the Indian. Come in, come in. Do you want me, sir? I can never... Never mind, Miss Holmes. Just stay outside. Close the door behind you. Sit down, Justly. Thank you, no. I want to give you a gift before I leave. Oh? You leaving? I thought we still needed you. I resigned. Sorry to hear that. I'm told you're a good man. I want you to understand what's behind this gift. Hmm? I was working on a power project in my country 
which would have meant a tremendous rise in the standard of living for millions of my people. I was unable to resist the money you offered. Well, had you resisted, even more money would have been forthcoming. I place no limit on your worth to me. I understand. But you see, I did not come without a sense of guilt, because there was no one in my country who could take my place. I would assume that. And now I discover that what I did was for nothing. The spaceship on which I worked is being dismantled. That's right. So I have been corrupted by you at a whim. I think you have too much power, sir. I think you use your power for evil, selfish purposes. Selfish, yes. Evil, no. Only sentimentality is evil. I think otherwise. And so, in order that you shall not corrupt anyone else, I have this gift for you. Here you are, sir. And just one more shot for good measure to make sure you're really dead. Good. Miss Holmes, there's a man on his way out by the name of Jarvis Rustley, an engineer. He's not to be molested. He probably won't stop at the cashier, so I want a check for six months' salary in advance mailed to his home address. The man uh, showed a certain quality of ruthlessness, which is deserving of recognition. Oh, and uh, have the chief of the company police bring me a new bulletproof vest. This one seems to have been dented in a couple of places. The new spaceship, according to Wilkins' plans, as executed by Crowder's engineers, was finished within four months. It was small, it was shaped like a disc. It gleamed brightly even in the smoky haze of an October sunset. Inside, Crowder and Mr. Wilkins, in a small cubicle at the heart of the machine, sat surrounded by many instruments of a complicated nature. Outside, huge crowds gathered to witness the test. They stirred and murmured, waiting restlessly, as inside the control room of the craft, Wilkins installed the final secret part he had not revealed to those who built his driving apparatus. Well, Wilkins, what's holding us up? Nothing new. Oh, sentiment, perhaps? A wish to look once more on Earth's familiar scenes? Yeah. Now the screening is removed. Look. Look at the people out there. Never mind looking out there. Let's leave that thing closed. You're a sentimental fool. Or are you afraid? Or did you decide at the last minute that your invention would work? It will work. Uh, sit down, Mr. Crowder. Uh, thank you. Uh, do me a favor. When I press this button, will you please press the button on the arm of the chair in which you're seated? I'll tell you when. Turn on your motor. I want to hear its roar and feel its tug as we cut loose from Earth's gravity and fly outward into space. <laughs> that might be a moment in which I'd share your sentimentality. Press your button now, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Wilkins, I'm beginning to distrust you. If this is all a hoax, when are we going to take off? You said at five sharp, and it's two minutes after five now. Well, do we move or don't we? Mr. Crowder, we're already moving. The button you pushed was to nullify the effects of acceleration. If you don't mind, sir, I'd like to open the screen again. Now, care to look? See for yourself. 
Wilkins. We're in space. Look down at the Earth. How far we've come. Why, it's no bigger than a toy balloon. No, a dime. No, a firefly. Man, man, Wilkins, you've done it. Yes. I swore to be the first man to conquer space. And I've done it. It's a triumph of power and ambition. And sentiment. Blast sentiment. Your maudlin dreaming would have died unborn except for me. I made this possible, Wilkins. Don't you ever forget that? My capital, my forcefulness, my will. Look out there. Space. Stars that never were seen from Earth. This is only the beginning. We'll build a larger model. One great enough to hold a hundred men, a thousand, and cargo besides. Whoever wants to leave Earth this moment must come to me. I am the master of the planets. <sighs> All right, Wilkins. Turn back now. No. Huh? I said turn back. No. Well, we've we proved the ship can fly now. Now turn back. I want to start work at once in preparation for the long flights to come. Not so. We will go on. What are you doing? Defying me? I'll break your puny little body into pieces. Can you control this ship, Mr. Crowder? Would you like to be stranded out here in space, just adrift in space without control? Would you like that? Turn back. No. What's the matter with you? Are you out of your mind? Oh, I am a sentimentalist, Mr. Crowder. Your money and ambition paved the way, that's true. But sentiment was the vital factor that sent me to you. Sentiment, sir. You see, Mr. Crowder, I wanted to go home. Home? Home? You are out of your mind. You will forgive me if I remove these primitive clothes? Who are you? Oh, it's all right, Mr. Crowder. I hold no special malice toward you. There's no need to be so terrified because you've had your first close look at a Martian. have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Vital Factor by Nelson Bond, as adapted for radio by Howard Rodman. Featured in the cast were Joe DeSantis, Guy Sorrell, John McGovern, Rant Richards, Louis Van Ruten, Richard Hamilton, and Florence Williams. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Our Miss Brooks. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and palm olive shave creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave 
bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, the nation's teachers took advantage of their Easter vacation in various ways. Some just lolled around the house, others played tennis or golf, and still others took the opportunity to go hunting or fishing. Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, spent most of her time trapping. But no matter what kind of bait I used, Mr. Boynton refused to fall into the trap. <laughs> I was discussing the bashful biologist with my landlady at breakfast last Friday morning. <clears throat> it's not that Mr. Boynton isn't fond of me, Mrs. Davis. This past week has proven that he is. In what way, Connie? Well, during the regular school term, Mr. Boynton has asked me for exactly one date a week, right? Right. And where did he take me on each and every one of those dates? The zoo, right? Right. But in the past four days alone, he's taken me out on three dates. And where did he take you? If I see one more hyena, I'll laugh in his face. <laughs> of course, you can't really blame a scientist for being so interested in animal life, but there must be some way we can get him conditioned to people. <laughs> There's still only one foolproof way to attract a mate, Connie And that's the old-fashioned down-to-earth method Practiced by women throughout the ages Mrs. Davis, you mean... Exactly Cook him a good hot meal That'll make him perk up his ears and eyes He'll either perk up his ears or turn up his toes <laughs> You know what kind of a cook I am, Mrs. Davis I'll do the actual cooking, Connie All you have to do is invite him well, he said he'd phone me this morning. Maybe I can ask him over for lunch. Splendid. What time did he say he'd call? At 9.30. You know how punctual he is. Yes, indeed. You can set your watch by Mr. Boynton. What time is it now, Connie? Let's see. Well, that's funny. It's just 9.30 now. I guess Mr. Boynton overslept. I'll get it. Hello? Sorry, I'm late, Miss Brooks. Oh, you're not very late, Mr. Boynton. Oh, I'm afraid it's past 9.31, and I said I'd call at 9.30. Well, that's all right. I whiled away the time by whipping up a pot roast. Miss Brooks, in all the years we've known each other, we've never shared in any one big venture together. Aren't you forgetting your gasoline bill? <laughs> Why, Mr. Boynton. Miss Brooks, I've got a pr proposal to make to you. I do. I mean... <laughs> I mean, go ahead, Mr. Boynton. What I'm suggesting is a, a partnership. A partnership founded on mutual regard, integrity, and a simple handshake. My hand's shaking already. <laughs> Naturally, I, I'd like you to keep this proposition a secret until we work out all the details. Naturally, naturally. And I... I don't like to talk about a thing like this on the phone. Would it be possible for you to have lunch with me today? Possible? It's positively probable. <laughs> uh, what time and where, Mr. Boynton? Well, you mentioned a pot roast, I believe. Oh, of course. We'll have lunch right here. How about 12 o'clock? I'll be there, Miss Brooks. And somehow I have the feeling that this might lead to pretty big things. 
If they take after us, they should be. (laughs) Well, goodbye, Mr. Boynton, dear. Goodbye, Miss Brooks, likewise. (laughs) Mrs. Davis, it was Mr. Boynton, and he's coming over to lunch. Good. We still have most of that pot roast you made for last night's dinner, haven't we? Certainly, dear. All you'll have to figure out is what to put around the roast. How about Mr. Boynton and me? <laughs> oh, you mean like, like vegetables and things. Yes. And you'll want a nice dessert, too. Why don't you stop in at the drugstore and get one of their ice cream cakes? All right, I'll leave in a few minutes. And while you're in the drugstore, I wish you'd pick up a couple of batteries for my flashlight. And, oh, yes, I needed a new garden hose, too. Which drugstore do you have in mind? The one that sells used cars? No, the one on Elm Street. You know where my brother Victor got those pretty doe-skin slacks. Of course, uh, the flashlight batteries are only sold in the electronics department. That's in the rear. I know. Just before you come to the psychiatrist's office. (laughs) I wonder whatever happened to the old-fashioned drugstores. The kind that used to sell peroxide and blue jay corn plasters and Hammond organs. There. The table's all set for lunch, Connie. What time did Mr. Boynton say you was coming? Twelve o'clock, Mrs. Davis. Uh, what time is it now? It's about as twelve o'clock as it'll ever get. <laughs> But before I let Mr. Boynton in, Mrs. Davis, I'd like to ask a favor of you. What is it, Connie? Well, so far it's a big secret, but Mr. Boynton has something very important to say to me today, and I'd appreciate it if you'd, well, just sort of make yourself scarce while he's here. Oh, I get you, Connie. Don't worry about a thing. I'll do it very tactfully. Be right with you. Oh, I hope I haven't kept you waiting, Miss Brooks. It's only been four years. I mean... Oh, you mean for lunch? Oh, not at all. Come on in, Mr. Boynton. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Hello, Mrs. Davis. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. How's the weather out today? Well, I should say that the temperature's about 68, with a relative humidity about 20. However, barometric pressure indicates a warm front moving in from the southeast, which, which would elevate the thermometer considerably. Roger, Wilco, over and out. I'd like to stay and chat with you for a while, Mr. Boynton, but I've got to rush right into my room. What's your hurry, Mrs. Davis? It's the only way I can think of to make myself scarce. <laughs> now, you be a good boy, Mr. Boynton. Connie, if you need me, just yell. I should live so long. <laughs> See you later, Mrs. Davis. Well, Miss Brooks... Before we sit down to lunch, I'd like to clarify some of the remarks I made to you on the telephone. You see, I got the feeling at times that you didn't quite comprehend the nature of this deal. Deal? Yes, it's a real estate deal. My Uncle Harry over in Florence has given me the opportunity to pick up the option on a couple of choice lots. I'm letting you in on the ground floor, Miss Brooks. I couldn't feel any lower if you let me in the basement. (laughs) I mean... What am I supposed to do with a couple of lots? Oh, they're not just any lots, Miss Brooks. They're a wonderful buy. My uncle says they should triple in value in a few months, and he ought to know. He's justice of the peace in Florence. Knows everybody in town. Your uncle is justice of the peace? 
Yes, he has been for years. Well, it's a good thing he doesn't depend on you to throw business his way. (laughs) But how come you never mentioned your Uncle Harry before? I don't know. I never thought of it, I guess. He's always been after me to get married and settle down. Peculiar old codger. Careful, Mr. Boynton. You're speaking of the uncle I love. (laughs) Well, the nicest part of this option is we won't have to put up much cash to secure it. When can we take a look at these prospective oil fields? Well, I thought we'd drive out right after lunch. It's not very far. Oh, fine. Now let's sit down, Mr. Boynton. We'll have a nice, cozy lunch. Just you and me. And the doorbell makes three. (laughs) Excuse me. Well, it's Walter Denton. Greetings, most revered and hallowed instructor. (laughs) Well, thanks, Walter, but... What brings you to your ivy-covered old teacher during vacation? Well, I was just cruising around the neighborhood, and I thought you might want to lift somewhere. Oh, that was very thoughtful, but I've got company, Walter. Company? Who? Oh, it's Mr. Boynton. Hiya, Mr. Boynton. Hi, Walter. We were about to have our lunch. Lunch? Oh, gee, that's embarrassing, Miss Brooks. My barging in on you like this, I mean. I hardly know what to say. Have you thought of goodbye, Miss Brooks? Gosh, something smells awfully good. Haven't you eaten your lunch yet? No, I haven't, Miss Brooks. Then don't let me keep you. (laughs) Now I know what that delicious smell is. It's pot roast. Mm -hmm. Miss Brooks, would you mind terribly if I... Well, that is... Could I... Of course, Walter. Go right ahead and take another sniff before you leave. (laughs) Oh, well, I'll just say goodbye to Mr. Boynton first. Guess I'll be running along now, Mr. Boynton. What's your hurry, Walter? Oh, Walter has any number of pressing things to do, haven't you? No, ma'am. No, I haven't got a thing to do. (laughs) Smell that gravy. I'm starved. As long as Walter's so hungry, Miss Brooks, maybe you ought to give him a bite. I'll be glad to. (laughs) Stick out your arm, Walter. (laughs) I mean, let's all sit down. Oh, man, that's what I call a meal. I sure enjoyed it, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'm glad, Mr. Boynton. How did you like it, Walter? (laughs) He's still liking it. You said a mouthful that time. Well, we'd better get going, Mr. Boynton. If you'll excuse me a moment, I'll say goodbye to Mrs. Davis. Well, certainly. Come in. I just wanted to say goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Oh, well, have a nice time, dear. Oh, before you go, I forgot to tell you that while you were shopping, Mr. Conklin called. He said he wanted to talk to you about something this afternoon. This afternoon? But I'm going to be busy. I'm going over to Florence with Mr. Boynton. I tell you what, Connie, just leave a phone number where I can reach you. And if Mr. Conklin sounds too terribly urgent the next time he calls, I'll let you know. All right, Mrs. Davis. And when you go into the dinette, don't be alarmed if you see a tall boy with a slightly purple face. It's Walter Denton. Walter Denton? What's he doing here? The last time I saw him, he was eating the string around the pot roast. Well, before she and Mr. Boynton left for the community of Florence, Miss Brooks jotted down his Uncle Harry's phone number and left it on Mrs. Davis's telephone stand. About an hour later, Walter Denton arose from the living room couch, 
stretched, yawned, and spoke. Oh, nothing like a good meal and a nice nap. Miss Brooks and Mr. Boynton took off, huh? Quite a while ago. But while you were sleeping, Mr. Conklin called and said he had some important reports that he wanted Miss Brooks to get out by tonight. Where'd she go? She didn't say. She just left this phone number. But I've misplaced my glasses again. Will you dial it for me? Oh, sure, Mrs. Davis. Uh, Honey, I can never remember the rest of those words. Hello? Justice Henderson speaking. Who? Justice of the Peace Henderson. I must have the wrong number. Is this Florence 2164? That's right. Well, is Miss Brooks or Mr. Boynton there? Oh, no, indeed. They were here, but as soon as they signed the necessary papers, they took off like a couple of kids. Papers? You mean they... Oh, they sure are. They're hooked up now. Oh, I'll be. Thanks, Your Justiceship. Thanks a lot. Who were you talking to, Walter? To a Justice of the Peace, Mrs. Davis. Our little Miss Brooks is a married woman. What? Oh, but she never mentioned a word to me. Surely she... Well, she must have a very good reason for keeping this marriage a secret. Now, I know I can depend on you to keep whatever you suspect to yourself, Walter. As one of Miss Brooks' most trusted confidants, I can do no less, Mrs. Davis. Rest assured that this secret is ours and ours alone. Let's see now. What's Harriet Conklin's phone number again? Seventy-six, seventy-seven. Here we are, seventy-eight and seventy-nine. These are the lots we've optioned, Miss Brooks. How do you like them? I can't see them under all that mud. (laughs) Must have rained out here last night. This property's going to be very valuable someday. All it needs is a few improvements. You mean like replacing the swamp with a dirt road? (laughs) I I know you're jesting, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's beautiful out here. Just take a breath of that air. Hmm, it's enough to make a person burst into song. I know just how you feel. Bum, 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 Chloe! Please, Miss Brooks. Please, these, these happen to be two of the choicest lots in this part of the country. I know, but what country is this? My Uncle Harry wouldn't give us a wrong steer, Miss Brooks. This may be the start of a very lucrative sideline. After we sell this property at a profit, there's no telling how far we can go. Unless we pick up a couple of lots on Mars, this is about as far as anybody can go. (laughs) Oh, it isn't that bad. Well, I guess we better start back now. Just how far is it to civilization, Mr. Boynton? I don't know the exact mileage, but we're not too far from home. Don't worry, I'll get you back all right. Oh, I'm not worried, Mr. Boynton. But just to be on the safe side, let's get some directions from that bear over there. Daddy! Oh, Daddy, where are you? I'm lying down on the living room couch, Harriet. You have my permission to approach me. While you were napping, Daddy Yes, yes, I heard it vaguely But I dozed off again while you were speaking Was it Miss Brooks answering my previous call? No, Daddy, it was Walter 
Golly, I don't like to violate a confidence, but you are my father, and you also happen to be the principal of my high school. Of course, Harriet, I... Harriet, this is vacation time for me. When your dear mother left the house this morning to visit your dear granny, I rather look forward to this as a day which would be singularly free from yatata. <laughs> so if you cannot control this impulse to jabber at me... Please... But it's not jabber, Daddy. It's... Oh, wait till you hear this news. Please, child. Must you make all your remarks sound like a bulletin which will send me leaping into the air as if a couch spring had erupted beneath me? <laughs> I'm sorry, Daddy. It's just that Miss Brooks is alone. So she's alone. During her vacation period, every teacher is entitled to do whatever he or she... Miss Brooks is alone! <laughs> must be calm, and you must remember my blood pressure. So she's done it. The one woman on the entire faculty I could have sworn was eloped-proof. Oh, Daddy, you shouldn't be so upset. After all, it isn't a tragedy. Oh, it isn't, eh? You think you find capable English teachers on trees? No, Daddy. Although at the moment, I wouldn't mind seeing this one dangling from a tree. <laughs> well, don't stand there gaping, girl. It's almost 5.30. We've got to go over to Mrs. Davis's place and get to the bottom of this. But what can we do, Daddy? By now, they're probably on their honeymoon. That's where you're wrong, Harriet. Mr. Boynton couldn't possibly start on his honeymoon today. Why not? The zoo closes at five sharp. <laughs> It's getting pretty dark, Mr. Boynton. We'll have to hurry if we're to be home in time for dinner. Oh, I'm not planning on getting back for dinner, Miss Brooks. After the splendid lunch you prepared for me at noon, I, I thought it only fair to reciprocate. You mean we're going to a restaurant? Not exactly. I, I thought we'd eat on the road. Aren't you afraid of being hit by passing cars? <laughs> there are lots of nice little roadside places, Miss Brooks. After all, it isn't the food that's important. It, it's the fun of having, having it together. You're so right, Mr. Boynton. And being treated to dinner is even more fun. Of course, after that lunch we had, it'll be difficult to eat very much more. No, I don't know. I could find room. <laughs> Just think, we had pot roast, potatoes, lima beans, salad, rice pudding, and milk. But that was six hours ago. I know, but when people get past their 20s, Miss Brooks, much of their caloric intake turns to nothing but flabby blubber, and <laughs> if there's one thing that makes a woman attractive to me, it's... Uh, a nice, slim figure. Mr. Boynton. Yes? Pass me a toothpick and keep on driving. Almost seven o'clock and still no word from Connie. It isn't like her to do things like this. Get married, you mean? Please, Walter, this is no laughing matter. Just think, Mr. Conklin. Only six hours ago, I had lunch with them. What? Then you must have been the last person to see them alive. <laughs> uh, single, single. Of course, outside of that alleged justice of the peace you spoke to, there's no real proof that they're married. Oh, 
golly, Daddy, what more proof do you want? Tell me, Denton, when you saw them at lunch, how did they act? How did they look? Same way they always do. Miss Brooks didn't take her eyes off Mr. Boynton's face, and Mr. Boynton didn't take his eyes off his plate. Oh, that's the front door. I'll go. Oh, and me too. So will I. Harriet, stand where you are. We'll wait in here. Connie. And Mr. Boynton, come on in. Hi, folks. Connie, you bad girl. You should have let me know. At least I could have had some rice ready to toss at you. Well, thanks just the same, Mrs. Davis. But when you get past 20, rice just turns to blubber. (laughs) Congratulations, Mr. Boynton. And you too, Miss Brooks. I... (laughs) Miss Brooks. Oh, gosh, I guess I'll always think of you as Miss Brooks. You don't mind, do you? Mine? What should you think of me as? Casey Stengel? <laughs> Still in there pitching. But what you've done has made most of us very <laughs> I, for one, am looking forward to the day when you invite me out to your new place. You can come out anytime, Walter. Sure, we'll sit around and make mud pies. <laughs> you've got more company in the living room, Connie. Come on in. Oh. Well, Mr. Conklin and Harriet. Best of everything, folks. Thanks, Harriet. I cannot share my daughter's enthusiasm for this affair. I'm deeply chagrined at not being notified. Well, you see, sir, my uncle didn't want too many people to know about it. Your uncle? What has he got to do with anything? Oh, he was responsible for the whole deal. He's the justice of the peace in Florence. But as principal of Madison High, I am entitled to... If I may say so, Mr. Conklin, I I don't think it should concern anyone at school if, if I want to go out and pick up a piece of property. What a strange way to put it (laughs) But it does concern Madison I have a right to know whether or not we're losing our English teacher Losing me? But Mr. Conklin, I'm nowhere near financial independence yet I've got to continue my teaching Don't forget, this is only my first venture (laughs) Your first venture? Well, certainly If this one works out She may take a crack at four or five others (laughs) What? Well, why not? After all, Mr. Boynton's uncle Can probably put me next to plenty of good things (laughs) Well, I never... Harriet, Harriet, Walter, leave the room at once. You're too young for this sort of conversation. We've aged considerably in the last few minutes. I can't understand you, Connie, taking your marriage so lightly. My marriage? Her marriage? Didn't you two get married this afternoon? Miss Brooks and me get get married this afternoon? What? Heavens, no! <laughs> Can you imagine anything like that, Miss Brooks? Constantly. <laughs> but if you're not married, why did Walter tell Harriet well, that you I were... only told Harriet what Justice Henderson told me that they signed the papers and were hooked up. Now I understand. When Uncle Harry told you we were hooked up, you thought we were married. Well, sure, wouldn't you? Oh, but the whole thing was just a real estate deal. Miss Brooks and I bought some lots together. Lots? Well, oh, <laughs> this is rich. <laughs> what a mix-up. 
It's a scream. <laughs> this entire affair is nothing but a comedy of errors. As a student of Shakespeare, don't you agree, Miss Brooks? As a student of the Kefauver Committee, I refuse to answer on the grounds that it may tend to incriminate me. <laughs> Once again, here is Eve Arden. In the event of enemy attack, who would be the first to rush to the aid of the stricken? Who is always first in any disaster? The Red Cross. Because of the present national emergency, the Red Cross must mobilize for defense at once. To do it, they need your help. A contribution to this outstanding organization is a contribution to the comfort and aid of your loved ones and yourself in time of any emergency. So give generously. The need is great. We take pride in announcing that Eve Arden has been named radio's most outstanding female personality by the Southern California Society of Radio and Television Editors. Thank you very much. If you like mysteries that are as full of chuckles as chills, be sure to hear Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday over this same network. Hear Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday night. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Jack Benny. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Hop Along Cassidy, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.